This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Rich Bradbury. It is 12.06 here in the studio on Friday, the 29th of September. I'm guessing all of you are chomping at the bit to jump into that weekend. I know I certainly am. Anyway, uh, before that, though, of course, we've still got some more stuff to get through. Um, today on BizBytes, I guess we'll be speaking a little bit about AI, as we normally do, and its role in fighting stuff like misinformation and perhaps help boost marketing. And in an age where information travels at the speed of a click and marketing strategies are driven by data, the role of AI has become pivotal in two critical areas. Addressing the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation and revolutionizing data and insights-driven marketing. AI, with its capacity for analyzing vast data sets at almost breakneck speed, has emerged as a double-edged sword in our digital landscape. On one hand, it empowers organizations to harness customer insights and shape personalized marketing campaigns with precision. Yet on the other hand, it grapples with the challenge of detecting and countering the spread of misleading information in the era of social media. So in our discussion today, we will be delving into the transformative influence of AI in these two realms, highlighting its capabilities, the ethical considerations, and real-world applications. If you have any thoughts on this matter, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899, or you can get us on X, and we are at BFM Radio. Joining me today is Mimrat Mahmoud, the VP for Enterprise at Meltwater, they're a software as a service and media intelligence solutions provider. He's going to help me understand further how AI is shaping the present and future of information integrity and data and insights driven uh, driven marketing strategies. Mim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Very excited to be here. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, so you heard me do the introduction, and, and I guess as a, a few people sat at home. Um, maybe a little bit confused about some of the terms that we've kind of thrown around there. Uh, yeah. Essentially, let's start off with it with a fairly basic question. What would you say is the difference between data-driven marketing and insights-driven marketing? Yeah, I think it's what you highlighted in the introduction where things are moving so fast in this internet age where marketing also needs to be able to move according to what customers are saying, mm -hmm. as well as what the public is highlighting to them. Mm -hmm. So I think the traditional data-driven organizations tends to use a static model, which is more using surveys, using uh, panels, things that take quite a long time to collect the data. Sometimes by the time the insights are presented to the VP of marketing or VP of sales, the challenge is some of those insights are already sometimes irrelevant. Right. And that's why I think we are trying to see if marketing can go more into an insight-driven marketing model mm -hmm. where the content is more dynamic. Right. It is also handling information real time. And I think exactly what you said, Richard, where today's technologies allows 
machine learning algorithms or AI, or today sometimes we also use large language models mm. to help derive insights much more quickly. Traditionally, it was just not possible. Mm. I mm. think traditionally, you just can't have someone 24-7 sitting in a room waiting for them to deliver insights, right? Whereas today, technologies allow you at any given time, you collect that information, you can give it to the large language model to help derive the most crucial information in there mm -hmm. to find a pattern that maybe a human analyst might not find. Right. And that allows marketing to be much more agile and much more responsive to the customer demands. Okay. Um, so let's take a look at um, data-driven stuff just, just very quickly. When uh, at what stage should businesses start doing that process? What they, you know, when should they start looking at data-driven uh, strategies, and when should I guess businesses start thinking about looking towards using insights-driven marketing? I think I think it's more for continuous process. I think businesses need to do both, right? So I think it's a application. When do you use more static model data? And when do you use more dynamic data? Mm. I think for static data, I, I always recommend for customers who are doing their annual planning for budget purposes, when they are going through a complete rebranding or a new product launch, those are items where you need those data where the data might be collected over time. It's very qualitative data as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. So you can use that to do that planning. Whereas I think if you are running a campaign, let's say, for example, it is for, well, we are coming to the Christmas season, right? During <laughs> a Christmas season <laughs> or uh, during a Ramadan season, usually things change much more quickly. Mm. And that's where I feel where you as a marketeer need to be much more sensitive to what the customer is demanding and what the customer preference is. And in that situation for campaign remodeling, I recommend having this insight-driven approach where you can pick up insights very, very quickly. And most of the time, these are local insights. Right. Um, so when we are working with our customers, we are very, very sensitive pre-campaign, during campaign and post-campaign on what are consumers talking about what's the flavor of the day mm -hmm. and trying to see if we can harness that preference to really align to our messaging mm. now obviously you know companies like your, your yourselves uh, will have key kpis uh, for your company and of course the the people that are hiring you will also have specific kpis as well what what are some of those uh, i guess common kpis when it comes to data and insights driven marketing campaigns do you have like figures you have to hit obviously but can you just break it down for me a little bit yeah i think the main new kpi i said that coming is actually coming due to social media right and that's where i think for meltwater meltwater has been in this space for 20 years mm -hmm. uh, and you might be thinking hold on 20 years did social media even exist 20 <laughs> years ago right uh and and the answer to that is yes um Actually, the birth of internet started with bulletin boards. Yeah, yeah. So, which is type of a form of social media. So, social media has really taken over some traditional marketing KPIs. Some of those new KPIs that's introduced is engagement rates. Mm -hmm. uh, I would imagine for you running a radio show, 
that becomes a new KPI that might, might not Correct. have traditionally been there. Yeah. Right. Um, there's also a, a new KPI where virality of the content is the content actually getting into these social networks algorithms where the algorithms can help you boost that content. Mm. Um, there are new KPIs also very aligned to that is more towards things like sentiment tracking. I would say traditionally when organizations or corporations release campaigns, sentiment was actually not something they really thought about because it's a one-way communication. Uh, whereas today's marketing is a two-way communication. The corporation can release a campaign and the consumer has the opportunity to voice their opinions on the campaign. Right. Yeah. And sometimes the campaign can be altered due to that. So maybe sentiment is a generalization of it, but I would say the public reception to the campaign um, is a new KPI right. that organization are incorporating. I mean, you, you must encounter this where you have a, a client come to you with a product or, or with a service, you know, who, who have said in the past to, you know, to their PR company, you know, make it viral, you know, and, and they assume that it, it's almost like a, a one-click kind of procedure. Uh, but we both know it's a difficult procedure, right? I mean, that must affect your KPIs when for them it doesn't achieve virality, Correct? Definitely. Well, virality can be achieved using paid uh, ads. Right. I think there is an opportunity where, and I think that's where, like, I think in the topic of misinformation, disinformation, propagation, mm. you'll realize that most topics that tend to go towards that larger impact or societal impact come from nation-driven uh, propaganda campaigns. Right. The reason why that's possible is you need lots of marketing budget mm. or huge quantity of advertising budget to really create an artificial virality mm -hmm. because you can technically kind of uh, pay the Facebooks of the world or the TikToks of the world to give you that ability to propagate your message. Right. Um, but Organic virality is the difficult one, right? Getting the algorithms to detect your content and, and the algorithms are constantly looking for, is this content something that this particular individual will resonate with? Mm. Because the algorithm is trying to just detect whether this individual on Instagram or this individual on TikTok if they see this content, would they engage? Because these algorithms are trying to maximize the engagement rate because you don't want to show content to this end customer that they are not going to engage with. So right. it is really difficult. And But at the end of the day, I would say, Richard, like when it comes to virality uh, organically being achieved for what Meltwater recommends to our commercial customers is really try to think from the point of view of the algorithm because what you're trying to win the love of is the algorithm's love right because that's the only way you can actually get the yeah. virality yeah. so it's actually uh, not not as like I would say unimaginable or it's it's an impossible task. At the end of the day, 
the Googles of the Facebooks and the, and the TikToks of the world is constantly evolving their algorithm. Mm. And your job as a marketeer is to understand how the algorithm is evolving and trying to get your marketing to be as relevant to the end customer. Because the more the content will resonate, the better the virality is. And I think the perfect example in our region in Southeast Asia is Thai commercials. I would yes. imagine you've come across some Thai commercials For sure. as well. Yeah. <laughs> very, and, and very well done. Well, exactly. And, and that's because they are really touching the human emotion, right? Mm, mm. They are able to really touch that human emotion. And, and that's what the algorithm is looking for. The algorithm is, when I say algorithm, it feels like a, a very inhuman thing. But at the end of the day, the algorithm is built by people. And what it is trying to deduce is, would this content create an emotional connection? Mm, mm. And if so, the algorithm in TikTok will let the content be seen by its full network. And if you can get the full network to see the content, there you go. You have a million dollar viral campaign on your hand right. and forever life changes right. for everyone. I mean, like you say, you know, the, the kind of algorithm is fed by people. It is fed by emotions. It's fed by clicks, likes, shares and all that kind of engagement. And when you see the, this viral content, part of me, though, and this is obviously something that we're going to be discussing later on, is because sometimes it doesn't feel organic. You know, it feels as though it has been pushed. And that is kind of, I guess, where we're getting to this discussion about misinformation and disinformation. What is real, what is not, what is paid for and what is not. Hold that thought, though, Mim. We're going to take a short break. I have some music coming up in just a moment from Queens of the Stone Age. We'll be back with Mim in a moment. We're discussing the transformative influence of AI in a few areas, uh, highlighting the capabilities, the ethical considerations, and real-world applications when it comes to misleading information in the era of social media, amongst other things. We'll be right back in a few, mes- uh, in a few moments uh, here on BFM 89.9. Better Finance Management. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. My name is Rich Bradbury. Of course, we're going to be with you until around one o'clock this afternoon. Joining me today is Mim Mahmoud. He's the VP for Enterprise at Meltwater. They're a software as a service and media intelligence solutions provider. He's helping me understand a few things. We're talking about uh, the influence of AI, I guess, in, in two fields when we're looking at the way in which data can be looked at. Data-driven marketing, insights-driven marketing, the differences between the two. Uh, Mim, just before the break, we were looking at some of the examples of KPIs for companies and uh, and that kind of thing. And, and I guess one of the questions that I want to ask so is, what are some of the most common or pressing challenges that organizations do face when they transition from maybe one style of marketing to another, whether it's moving from data to insights? What do they commonly encounter? The biggest challenge is upskilling of staff um, because when it comes to changing to a much more dynamic model, while the software and the technologies can do things very quickly, the the operators, the people in the marketing team, or even the approval process, yeah. the governance process, the protocols, those might not be fine-tuned yet 
for that fast deployment. Right. Um, I commonly come across organizations where they actually do capture certain insights and they do modification on the campaign, but they just can't get the approvals in time to to run the campaign uh, go live. Right. So I think this is it's, one of it's those almost challenges. Like, it's almost like there's a. I don't want to say a generational divide, but that is what it feels like almost. Oh, that's definitely true. I think when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to the management, management hasn't most in in most instances realize how big of an advantage can you gain mm. by changing the message so late in the game. Mm. Whereas the marketing director is on the phone saying that, no, we need to make this change. It will have a 2x or a 3x in our impact. Um, whereas it's, it's about safety and security. I think I've been working in the Malaysian commercial space for, for a good 16 years now. Mm. And the takeaway I've had in, in both on the commercial side in Malaysia as well as the public sector in Malaysia is it is still challenging for the senior executives to really do that calculation in their head versus the risk involved right. in a late change versus the the propensity of a content performing two x. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a very difficult calculation for them, and most of the time they they are more conservative. And, and they take the more safer approach. Mm. Whereas when you actually go to meetings where they talk about, and this is mainly like talking about next year's planning, they, every person in that room in the senior executive team will say, oh, why didn't you create a viral content? Why isn't <laughs> our content going viral? Right, uh, right. I, so, I've, so been, I've been in those meetings, yes. <laughs> So it's, it's a very challenging situation because they they are most of the time people who actually ask for this virality aspect uh -huh. or the content performing better. They will show a Nike ad, right, that, that went well, or they'll show one of those larger U.S. narratives where why, why did this happen? Why can't mm. us locals in Malaysia get this done? Like, why mm. are we not as good as this, right? And... And the answer to that is it's systems. I think, I mean, Meltwater, we, we work with Nike. We work with the Gatorades of the world. And for us, it's all about bringing our software into the team, but also working with the team to create mechanisms, approvals, workflows that can facilitate. Because just bringing a faster technology doesn't mean you can run the faster technology you actually need the whole organization to transform in its approval process, governance process, mm. to accommodate for this change. Mm -hmm. I, I guess then on the back of that, can you give me some examples that where, where companies have just, you know, they've leveraged these insights, they've seen the market shift, you know, whether it's not, not in, in the morning or the night before, and they've suddenly jumped on that bandwagon or whatever it is and said, okay, let's do something like this. Let's take advantage of the current zeitgeist and do something that might go somewhere. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, let's take a more recent example. And I think this is fresh off uh, 
the reason movie that was released, Barbie, uh, right. by Mattel. Of course, of course. Yeah. And and I think it, it it's uh, to me to some extent it's it's also in it's the shocking fact that it already has hit the one billion mark yeah. in in sales, which which is interesting, right? Because if you think about that whole activity to going that goes into promoting a movie and how to create a virality or even a sustained conversation on this. Um, I, I just think it's really fascinating how Mattel and, and organizations that has been behind the movie, how they have managed pre-release, they were able to get a lot of momentum and conversations going. Mm. There were so many like team parties. There were so many cosmetics released in relation if you think about cosmetics it takes one year to produce it right, right. so that means that they were they were working two years in advance mm-hmm. to make sure the cosmetics are out the clothing is out and and you start to see these uh, like in vegas i think there was a mention that a barbie mention created just for the movie release which which is just fascinating and i think when you start to think about how they use social media to really generate that voice of customer as well as that word of mouth effect. Mm, mm. It is just impressive that people were able to, I, I think even, even in a lot of my friends, they bought Barbie cost, like uh, dress ups and they actually wore that to watching the movie. One would imagine like, okay, wait a minute, like, would I be comfortable doing that? And the reason why everyone was so comfortable doing that, because they saw everyone else wearing the same stuff on social media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Barbie was absolutely everywhere, even before the movie was released. I remember walking through a, a mall here and just being like, so... Uh, yeah, inundated with Barbie merchandise. It was in almost every store. It was makeup, it was toys, it was clothing. And that kind of marketing, as you said, must have taken so much preparation beforehand. And there must have been so much money sunk into that kind of marketing campaign that the fact that we think it was something that was viral and we think it was something, you know, Um, done on the spare of the moment very clearly was not. This was something that was sat down and worked on for a long period of time, correct? That's correct. And I think for for Meltwater, like for example, we work with uh, companies in Japan. Uh, Some of our largest customers are in Japan, the the likes of the Hello Kitties of the world. Right. Like, I mean, I, I think you probably remember Mario was released. And Mario actually has a much more loyal fan base mm, in mm. some ways than Barbie because it, it's been continuous, right? Mm. Um, whereas I think I find even in the Japanese organizations, it, they, they don't tend to have that ability to create that virality. And it is to do with what you said, pre-planning, but it is also to do with picking up on things so quickly. Like there was Barbie drinks created in bars mm. and being able to jump on it and create, hey, listen, we should put this content on our social networks. Let's give some audience to this content because that will inspire other a lot of other barmen uh, or even restaurants to create dishes 
cater to this, mm-hmm. right? Or theme nights mm-hmm. or party packages. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, it is all about that agility, but also that boldness in really focusing on what the customer cares about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I know we were supposed to be talking about misinformation and disinformation, and so far we've been speaking about Barbie and, you know, wonderful marketing campaigns. But let's just, before we take another break, hit on misinformation and disinformation. When it comes to some of these marketing campaigns, what is it that you would say are some of the key differences when it comes to, I guess, distinguishing between the two? Yeah, so I think usually disinformation is more there is a deliberate act of really trying to propagate uh, false information. Whereas misinformation is most of the time the actors who are actually propagating the message didn't really understand that this was a false narrative to start off with. Mm -hmm. Now, in relation to misinformation, disinformation, I think COVID-19 was the first time I think this topic kind of took off because there was so much misinformation and and disinformation about uh, government policies within countries. There was about the vaccine uh, treatments. It it was pretty much about every single aspect of COVID because COVID was a shared common item that the whole country was uh, touching on. And it's it's a great opportunity for the bad actors to release bits of information that that kind of looks real and you can't really differentiate between it. Um, And I think uh, in this new world of generative AI, Mm. um, the question is, does generative AI add fuel to this fire of misinformation, disinformation? Because generative AI kind of solves a very age-old problem, which is, Content creation is expensive. It takes time. Whereas generative AI has kind of flipped that on its head (laughs) and said, well, you can do this uh, by just a prompt on your computer. Mm. Uh, A generative AI can create a video campaign for you Mm. by just typing exactly what you want it to generate, right? I think the... I think in this space of generative AI and how does that lead to misinformation, disinformation, one of the things Meltwater studied very well is does bots, these internet bots, which I think um, when when Twitter was being acquired and renamed to X, there was a whole conversation by Elon Musk. There's too many fake bots on Twitter, right? right. Yep. And and does these bots or generative AI have a huge impact on misinformation, disinformation? And the answer from all of the research Meltwater has done is that it actually plays, it does play a role, but the role is very minimal compared to the other factors that's involved. And most of the time, the factors that help generate misinformation, disinformation is much more to do with the community. There's a common shared group of people who have a preconceived notion on a particular topic, and that creates this tribe factor the bubble. that allows for 
yeah, that's the bubble. That's mm. where it kind of starts all. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we need to take another short break here, Mim. Um, I have so many questions yeah. to ask you, and clearly we're not going to get through all of them. Uh, but I think when we come back, we will have a we'll continue this t- discussion on on AI, though, on generative AI in particular, uh, because obviously that is the current topic at the moment. Um, but yes, let's take a short break, uh, folks. I do have some music coming up in just a moment. We've got some ads as well. I think we have the vines with Ride. I'll be back with Mim in just a few moments. Do stick with us here on Enterprise Biz Bytes on BFM 89.9, where we are discussing misinformation, disinformation, and what kind of marketing uh, techniques you should be looking at. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on BFM 89.9. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. If you're not awake already, you are now. That was The Vines with Ride. I'm speaking with Mim Mahmoud. He is from Meltwater. They're a software as a service and media intelligence solutions provider. And of course, in an age where information travels at the speed of a click and marketing strategies are driven by data, the role of AI has become pivotal in two critical areas, addressing the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation and revolutionizing data and insights-driven marketing. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Mim. Thank you very much uh, for not running away just yet. Now, as I just mentioned there, this this discussion that we've all been having, you know, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in social media, uh, any kind of media, I guess, about even the arts uh, industry, especially, this discussion about AI is top of mind right now for almost everybody. And whilst we're talking about how transformative it can be, how effective it can be in making us a more economical, and there's all of these wonderful things that can make our jobs easier. Part of the problem, of course, is that it can also be the uh, the, the the forming part of some of this misinformation and disinformation if it's not used properly. So like we said at the top of the show, it, it's a dual-edged sword. It helps us in one hand. It doesn't help us so much in the other. What kind of tools are there available right now that can check for this kind of, uh, whether or not the information that is coming out, it, it, you know, what accurate tools are there? And I'm going to speculate here that I'm guessing that these tools are AI, in fact, correct? That's absolutely correct. I think... Um, the most recent examples would be there was a huge concern when deep fakes started coming out. Yes. And I think when deep fakes started to surface, I mean, deep fakes has been around ever since Michael Jackson released Black and, black and White, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think uh, it became much more interesting once you kind of merge deep fakes with elections mm. and that's when i think the obama election and so forth kind of came into that picture i think what what we recognize is that deep fakes as well as misinformation disinformation a lot of times it's actually not very difficult to detect them because it's synthesized by algorithms or mm. computational power it always leaves a computational signature mm. in the content. Mm. Now, yes, at the front, when you're viewing the video, or when you're looking at the picture, you might not notice as a person. But when you look at the pixels itself, when you look at the code that actually represents the picture, um, you, it's very easy to see what's generated by a computer and what's generated by a person. 
And more importantly, what's really fascinating is that not only can you detect it's fake, you can also detect which algorithm did you use to generate it mm. um, because it leaves a signature that is very specific. So I think uh, there is a narrative, uh, I think, that has kind of gone into mainstream media where deep fakes and misinformation, disinformation will be like a massive impact to elections. We will, everything will be upside down. But the reality of the situation is not really. It's kind of like I feel sometimes when I listen to some of the content, it feels like the 2000, when it was kind of coming into the 2000, there was that internet hack, right? Where like everyone was worried the whole computer system will yeah. shut down yeah. or reset. The whole Y2K thing. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the Y2K problem, I, I do think it's kind of a similar logic. I think at the end of the day, it's very similar to Y2K, where everyone realized nothing shut down, nothing broke, right? What it required was just a little bit of tooling to come in and fix whatever small little code changes that needed to be made. Mm. And I think for deep fake detection, as well as fighting misinformation, disinformation, what you need is tooling. Mm. And that's why I think we at Meltwater, we've been, we, we come from Norway and we realized very early on that computers can detect other computers. Mm. Humans have a hard time detecting computers. Um, and, and that's the truth of the matter. And what you need to fight uh, deep fakes and misinformation, disinformation is not people. Mm. What you need is machines to be applied because machines can de detect these things by look at the code. Mm. You don't look at the output, you look at the code and it allows it. And that's why I think in Meltwater, we recognize that these type of technologies of detecting misinformation is not very expensive as well, but it does require training. So I think especially, I think for Meltwater, we work with a lot of public sector organizations around the world. Um, and one of the things we advise them is, yes, it's expensive at the front because you actually need to train the model. Whereas in the long run, it's actually not as an expensive affair. If you think about all the people you deploy to fight misinformation, disinformation, and trying to get a human being to really deduce it, it's not a really fruitful exercise yeah. because the costs are so high but the, the chances of them missing it is very, very high. Mm. So and that, of course, will, I think if, if they do miss it, will have a huge impact uh, potentially on your, on your bottom line. That's exactly correct. And yeah. I think it, you have to really appreciate how the computing world works. And I think I'm very fortunate. Um, I, I always tell people, like, uh, when I meet them, one of the very fortunate things that I've had is... I'm, I studied computing at secondary school. Mm. I'm from the first batch of computer science students that came into the, the business world, right? Uh, and one of the things I really appreciate is when you at a young age learn how computers work mm. and how these softwares work, you have a huge appreciation for the fact the simplicity, everything on a computer is binaries, ones and zeros. 
it's the most simplistic thing. Yes, it it does it at a speed which most people can com- can't comprehend today. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, it's always ones and zeros. It's a very simplistic item. So it does. It, technology can really be used to detect these things that is produced by computers. Mm. Computers itself are a very simplistic machine. And that's why I think when ChatGPT came out, there was this age-old question like, hold on, is this thing intelligent? Yeah. And it is not. Right? <laughs> it is simply not intelligent. It's probably most the, the one of the dumbest things you can talk yeah, to yeah. because it, it's like you're talking to a calculator. Mm. The only thing it recognizes what's the next word probability-wise that's the right word to use. Mm. So it's just trying to detect the next word. So I think trying to use technology to fight misinformation, disinformation, deep fakes is the way to go here. I, I think just to go back to what you were saying about how, how dumb it is, I, I think the one of the reasons that people, in fact, there's a couple of reasons that people might be scared of it. First of all, they, they've watched too much TV and they assume uh, you know, that AI is going to do all of these things like Skynet and, and whatever. But secondly, there's a genuine fear that um, it is going to do these things eventually that we as human beings do right now. You know, it, the idea that it's going to be doing our jobs. And I think just watching a piece of AI, AI generate a script, for example, or do research, for example, in the blink of an eye, terrifies people because they may have sat at their machine for hours, you know, doing that research and the machine is just doing it instantly. Um, I think that's where some of the genuine fear comes from. But before I let you go, Mim, and I, I very quickly, I have about two minutes left, um, is when we think about the future and, and we think about the way in which AI can be used um, to look at data-driven and to look at insights-driven uh, marketing strategies, how plugged in do you think this AI is going to be moving forward? And I, I, I'll tell you now, we have two minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I think the answer to that is what AI or machine learning or large language models do or what it unlocks is the ability to find the needle in the haystack. Right. The haystack was just so immense. Mm, mm. Uh, there's just too much things in the haystack at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, the quantity of information that goes online every day is just unimaginable to a person, right? Um, if you think about TikTok, there is about 20 million TikTok posts every day. Um, so the content is huge. So the haystack is massive. But finding the needle in the haystack is the challenge. And that's what machine learning algorithms, like AI, all these things help because it can do it on an instant. It can process the information so quickly. Finding the needle in this vast haystack is actually not a difficult thing for a computer. Whereas for a human being, it is an impossibility. Yeah, we'd be sat there for days, Mim wouldn't we? Mem, it's been an an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, Please do come back and we'll have further discussions about this. I foresee you being a guest on this show quite regularly. Uh, Folks, that, of course, uh, was Mimra Mahmoud, the VP for Enterprise over at Meltwater. If you did miss any part of this conversation, I do suggest you catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows. They're on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast players. Just search for Enterprise Biz 
Uh, don't go anywhere, though, because coming up, we have the Breakfast Grill replay just after the one o'clock news bulletin. Uh, the International Renewable Energy Agency estimated that in order to achieve our goal of carbon neutrality by 2050, Malaysia will need to double its investment in renewable energy transition to at least $375 billion. Malaysian Green Tech and Climate Change Corporation, the MGTC, reviewed the National Energy Transition Roadmap with the Breakfast Grill team and our current state towards a green economy. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news. Again, I'd like to thank my guest today, Mim. Uh, come back on Monday for Enterprise Biz Bites. We'll be back same time, same place at noon. My name is Rich Bradbury. This has been Enterprise Biz Bites on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.